Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Friends, today we're going to shift gears just a little bit. We've talked a lot about content. I've talked about eligibility and evaluations and behavior and inclusion. We've gone kind of nitty gritty into the parts of the IEP. We've talked a lot about special education. Today, I wanna to talk about something that is closely related to special education, but isn't nitty gritty. I want to talk about the overwhelm. The overwhelm that the people on the IEP team oftentimes feel. And I wanna talk specifically about some tips that you can use if you're overwhelmed by your child's disability itself. If your child's disability diagnosis is new, if you're having a hard time kind of embracing this new community that you're a part of, if you're overwhelmed by managing your child's medical needs and therapeutic needs and tutoring needs and social needs and all of those other needs, while also trying to figure out special education, this podcast is for you. Because friends, I've been there. I have had the same kind of overwhelm that you're probably experiencing, and I've had it multiple times, not just when I got a diagnosis, not just when something new happened, not just when my child was sick. I've had that overwhelm on almost a weekly basis. Sure, sometimes it's worse than others, but I figured my way out of it, and I have helped lots and lots and lots of my clients out of it as well. And so today I wanna to give you three strategies to help you if you are just feeling so overwhelmed that you're almost crippled. And this is kind of an example of the way that people come into my office. I wanna tell you a little bit about the way people come into my office when I think, okay, we need to get them out of overwhelm before we can really dive into the content. See if this little story helps you feel like you're not alone and feeling overwhelmed. I have a lot of people that come into my office that are parents of children with disabilities and the child has just been diagnosed with a new disability. Lots of times the parents that come in with this kind of overwhelm have children that have either been diagnosed with a specific learning disability like dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, um, a central auditory processing disorder, some kind of specific learning disability. It also happens a lot when children have been diagnosed recently with autism. And I think what happens is parents are really trying to figure out what is going on medically or cognitively with their child. And so they get the diagnosis and it comes with this really long report with probably two or three or seven pages of recommendations. And those recommendations take the parents to different therapists, to different tutors, to um, different things in school. And then they have this kind of preconception about the way that the meetings are going to go at school. And they get all wrapped up in the personalities and the technicalities and all of the questions. 
And all of a sudden, those things kind of crash in on people and they get so overwhelmed that they're almost crippled. And people say to me, Ashley, I don't know where to start. And that's when I know that what we have to do is we have to look at the overwhelm because they're so crippled with that um, kind of barrage of information that they're getting that they really can't start on the advocacy part. And friends, the thing that I want for you to understand is that's okay. The first thing they have to do is understand it, to see it, to know it, to feel it, and to say, okay, I gotta get through this overwhelm so that I can take some action, so that I can do something. It's really important to be proactive as a member of an IEP team, but you aren't gonna be proactive and you aren't gonna be your best you if you are overwhelmed. So I've got three tips to help you and I hope that they really are helpful. The first thing that I want for you to understand is that the disability that your child has been um, diagnosed with should not define your child. However, it is extremely important that you embrace the community, you embrace the diagnosis, you embrace the disability. So I want for you to understand that that disability does not define your child. The fact that your child has been recently diagnosed with something, with dyslexia, with dysgraphia, with autism, with Down syndrome, the fact that your child had a medical event that left your child with some kind of cognitive impairment, whatever that is, that does not define your child. I have a little guy that has Down syndrome. And when I see him shirt, I see his beautiful almond-shaped eyes, I see his flat nose, I hear his flat, noisy feet. But do I look in his hand to see that the crease inside of his hand looks different than his brother's and his dad's and mine? No. Do I look at his ears and say, my, your ears are low on your head and they're tilted back a little bit? No. Do I listen for his heart every single day and think, hmm, I wonder if you've developed some kind of heart condition? Absolutely not. I do parent him with a heightened sense of awareness. He does have some medical concerns. I do actually listen to him when he sleeps a whole lot. But does that define him? No, Down syndrome doesn't define him. In fact, when I think about Jack, I think about probably first his crazy blonde hair that he doesn't let us brush. I think about swimming. I think about all the weird stuff he likes and stuff is a, is a proper noun at our house. He calls it his stuff. And Jack likes to gather up the weirdest stuff. He likes um, ropes and boats and garden gloves. He really likes moles. Um, he likes Hot Wheels tracks and particularly the connectors for Hot Wheels tracks. He just likes stuff and he puts them all in this bag that's his blue bag. That's his favorite stuff collector. That's the kind of stuff I think about. I don't think about Down syndrome when I think about my little guy. Now, I do absolutely embrace the Down syndrome community and Jack's diagnosis all in, it, in and of itself. Down syndrome is a part of Jack, but it does not define Jack. And no matter what your child's disability is, it is a part of your child. It's something else to love, but it certainly does not define your child. And so when you're deciding whether or not to cut the crust off of the peanut butter and jelly, you don't have to think, well, my child's dyslexic and so my child probably wants the crust on. 
or when you're trying to decide whether or not to go ahead and buy the Xbox or to upgrade the phone or to get the um, new headphones, you probably are not thinking, well, my child has central auditory processing disorder and so I better not buy the Xbox. Those things don't define our children and they don't help us when we're making day-to-day -day decisions about our children. However, if we embrace the diagnosis, if we take the time and we really think about what that diagnosis looks like, we will be more successful because we will be coping with it and we will be showing our children how to cope with it themselves. When our children see us cope, our children actually become better self-advocates. They see you ask for what they need, and then as they age and mature and come to terms with their profiles themselves, they actually can become good self-advocates themselves. They can start to ask for the things that they need. They can start to explain the way that their bodies work and what their needs are and what their desires are. And that is the goal. That kind of independence is the goal. So the disability does not define your child. However, the more that you embrace the disability in the community, the better off you will be. Now that embracing is gonna take time, friends. I'll tell you a little story. So when my child was eight weeks old, when Jack was eight weeks old, we went on vacation with three other couples. And one of the other couples had a baby that was born two hours after Jack. I was in a race with my friend Janine to have our babies. And we actually had another friend that was due right around the same time and she had had her baby early. And so we were in this race to see who was gonna have their baby first. And I had my baby two hours ahead of Janine. So there were two babies there that were eight weeks old. And I remember one day my husband said, why don't you take, why don't you let me take the baby and you stay down here on the beach alone. Everybody's going to go back up to take their showers before dinner. And he came down about an hour later and said, I just want to make sure you were okay. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm just kind of having a moment. I was kind of talking to the, to the water. I was watching the waves come in and out. And I was thinking about kind of all things down syndrome. I was coping with our diagnosis. It was still very, very new. And I was taking some time to be grateful for the health that my baby had, to be grateful for all of the support that we had, for the friends that were on that trip, and also to grieve, to grieve the baby that I thought I was having that I, at that time, didn't think Jack was gonna turn out to be. He's really had a, a life that's very similar to the life that I dreamed about when he was in utero but at that time I didn't know that. So I took some time to grieve and I took some time to celebrate and to really um, sit in gratitude. And I continued to do that. I had probably done it before that, but that was kind of a momentous moment for me in realizing that it's important to take time to get to that embracing. It's important to really stop and think, what do I need in order to embrace my child's disability? It's not gonna come all at once. My son is 10 years old and I'm definitely still embracing different parts of his profile. And every little hit that happens seems like um, it takes another second to, um, to come to terms with. And that's absolutely okay. So the disability does not define your child, but embracing the community and embracing the disability certainly does help. Tip number two, 
I don't want for you to feel like you have to do everything at once. So most of the time when you get a new diagnosis, you get a really long report from some kind of professional. It might be an educational psychologist, it might be a social worker, it might be a doctor, and this report will have lots of recommendations in it, including places to go and people to talk to and things to advocate for at school. And then you might find this ginormous community. So, you know, if your child has Down syndrome like mine, oh my gosh, is the Down syndrome community active. There's four different national groups and there's local affiliates and there are private organizations that um, help children with disabilities become um, integrated into their communities. There's dance classes and there's music classes and there's horseback riding lessons and there's aquatic therapy and oh my gosh, can it ever get overwhelming. And then you also might feel this real strong fire to change things. I wanna do government advocacy, or I wanna to talk to a person at a company about employment. And you really start to get overwhelmed because there's so much to do. There are so many opportunities to be involved. There is so much to learn about your child. And no matter where you are, no matter if you are overwhelmed just by the words in that report, or if you are overwhelmed with the possibility of the change that you can affect in the world, or if you're overwhelmed by the amount of people that want to help and the amount of help that people want to give to you, I certainly remember that feeling. You, what I want for you to know is that you don't have to do it all at once. In fact, a strategy that has been super helpful for me, because if, if you've listened long enough, you probably know I like to do a lot. I have way more energy than the average person. I like to be on a lot of committees. I like to have my, my finger on a lot of different pulses. Um, but a strategy that's worked for me very, very significantly is to know that I don't have to do it all at once. In fact, sometimes I have to come right back to what Jack needs right now. And that's kind of the way that it works in our family. I always say if the four of us are okay, life is super good. And so when things start to feel a little bit too overwhelming, when we've got too many things to navigate medically, or when we just are not getting over a hump therapeutically, you know, it took forever for my child to be able to tell us stories. He was actually in about third grade. It's only been about 18 months since we've heard stories. And that seemed like it was forever because there was so much personality in that body. There was so much language that needed to come out. He was frustrated, we were frustrated, we wanted to know what he had to say, and we would get super frustrated, waiting and waiting and waiting for those stories to come. And for some people, they don't ever come. And I really empathize with all of those hurdles. But when we have something that's just completely overwhelming us, what we do in our family is we always say, okay, this is it. We're gonna focus on this. We're gonna focus on this expressive language right now. In fact, we're not gonna do physical therapy and occupational therapy because it's too much running around. Let's double up on speech. And you know what? I don't have to go to that conference this year because we've got this um, behavior thing going on. Or things at school were just so crazy last year. I need a year where we're not doing fill in the blank. So sometimes what you have to do is you just have to prioritize and realize I'm not doing it all. 
Now, one thing that I wanna give you a license to do that I, I have freed a lot of people from is the community. While I think it is super helpful to embrace the community, some people feel like they get in a community of people, um, you know, whether it's parents or other teachers or other therapists that work with children in similar communities. So if you have a child with autism and you join a local autism parent group, um, sometimes people feel like being a part of that group is almost debilitating because they feel like, oh, I have now we have to do the pumpkin patch with the other parents um, that are in the autism group. And we have to go to the Christmas party and we have to go to the summer picnic and we have to do all of the therapies and all of those things. And I've had to say to so many parents, no, you don't. <laughs> if you want to do it and if it fuels you and if it fills you with joy, kind of like the Marie Kondo strategy towards raising a child with a disability. Great, that's what those communities are for. I've been on the board of a nonprofit that serves the disability community. And I certainly know that for that particular um, organization, the goal was not to have every single parent come to every single program or every single parent education piece. The goal was to be there for parents when they needed it, to be there for self-advocates, for the, for the children that had the disability or the adults when they needed it, to try to offer as many different offerings to hit people's interest sets. And I think that's a huge thing when you realize, oh, I don't have to go to that OT program because the cooking program is much more interesting to us. I think we'll just focus on cooking right now. So remember, friends, that you don't have to do it all. And there are going to be time periods where some things are just more important. Some things are going to take precedent. That might be something medical. We're having something medical going on at our house right now and everybody's fine. I think that we're all completely fine, um, but we're trying to figure out something. Jack's body's telling us that something's going on. Um, and so we're going to lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of doctor's appointments. And there happens to be a pandemic <laughs> happening right when we're trying to figure out something medical. And so we've kind of gone back to, you know what? We're gonna focus on working and we're gonna focus on the four people that live in this house because we know that we can't have a very active lifestyle during a pandemic because something's going on with Jack's body and we're gonna stay home in order to keep him safe and we're gonna slow way down in order to keep him safe and healthy because we're kind of in a medical time and that's okay. So all the other stuff, you know, we could have all this other stress about how things are going at school or how things are going um, socially because we aren't getting those social engagements. But what we've decided is we're going to keep him healthy and safe medically and we're going to continue to follow up on this medical stuff and that's our priority. And that has helped us so, so, so much because every once in a while we wanna lean in. We wanna say, oh, well, the school thing's really stressful. Nope, we're not gonna do the school thing right now because our priority is keeping our child healthy medically and figuring out whatever this medical thing is that we're trying to figure out. And that's been a really good strategy and we have to keep each other accountable <laughs> on it every once in a while when we wanna go down some other um, path of stress. Sometimes you'll get really passionate about something. So I got really excited about the ABLE Act when the ABLE Act was um, still in the federal um, 
advocacy need stage when the bill was still pending at the federal level. It took eight years to get the ABLE Act through the federal government. And for the last, I think probably three years, I was really excited about getting the ABLE Act passed. And so I spent a lot of time working with national organizations and advocacy things. Time spent in conference calls with um, disability organizations. Time spent writing letters and doing social media campaigns and going to meet with my congressmen. Time spent traveling to and from Washington DC for meetings and for conferences. I really learned a lot about um, government advocacy and doing that. And I was very passionate about it, but it was extremely time consuming. So there were other things that we weren't doing because I was really excited about government advocacy at that time. And I'm absolutely certain that there will be more um, issues that come up that will excite me and will go into another kind of government advocacy heavy time period in our lives. And so there's going to be stuff that's going to fire you up that you're going to want to change. You're going to have school times. You're going to have medical times. You're going to have therapeutic times. And that's okay, but I want for you to know this tip number two is you don't have to do them all at the same time. You can pick and choose. You can prioritize things at different times. Tip number three. Tip number three is my solution to almost everything stressful. And it is simply this, schedule time. So remember when I said disability doesn't define us, but we have to embrace it? Sometimes I think, well, what time am I gonna embrace it? I one time had a friend um, that was telling me about how she takes naps. And I said, well, I would love to take naps. They sound very healthy. I would love to kind of like calm down enough to take a nap. I um, would love to take a nap, but I don't even take naps when I'm sick. I'm not good at taking naps. And she said, well, Ashley, I know the solution to getting you to take a nap. You need to put it on your list. <laughs> Because she knows that I wake up in the morning and I write a list. It's my to-do list. What do I want to accomplish today? And even on Saturdays and Sundays, I'll say to my family, what do you need to accomplish today so that we can all build it into one another's schedules? And she said, well, if you put nap on your list, then you will take a nap because it's something that you've decided that you're going to do that day. I haven't ever tried it, but maybe it would actually work. <laughs> I'm thinking it probably wouldn't. But scheduling time is a huge solution for me in managing the overwhelm. Because remember how I said sometimes it's important to compartmentalize things? To take that overwhelm and to say, I'm gonna deal with that later. And then we're gonna chip away at it. And so if, for example, it's the disability or it's the evaluation report that is overwhelming you. You know, you just got the diagnos diagnosis and you've got this really long 15 page report from the educational psychologist and it has, oh, let's say 20 recommendations for you. You need to call this person. You need to register for this therapy. You need to find a tutor. You need to start with counseling. You've got all these different recommendations, probably just me giving you those four or five examples. If you're in this place, that probably overwhelmed you. And so what I want for you to do is I want for you to schedule time. And maybe you just start with an hour a week. You can get so much done in an hour. So if you say, you know what, Wednesdays at noon, Wednesdays when I eat my lunch, that's gonna be my time, my advocacy time. 
So that's when I'm gonna check in with school. I'm going to do one thing on that recommendation list from the therapist or from the educational psychologist or whoever wrote the report. I'm going to schedule one appointment and I'm going to, whatever, take data on an educational goal or I'm going to um, read something on the internet about my child's diagnosis. I'm gonna do this on Wednesday at noon. And so you've scheduled the time. You've said to yourself, I'm not gonna think about this the rest of the week, but on Wednesdays at noon, that's when I'm going to do it. And maybe you do it consistently. Something that I like to preach about is actually taking data, looking at progress monitoring at home. So I recommend that you work with your student on your child's IEP goals at home and that you take data and that you record the data, whether you do it by video or you do it in some kind of journal or log or an Excel spreadsheet, something like that. And so at my house, we actually have a specific time that we sit down to work to take that data. Now, right now we are, as I mentioned before, recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I am working with my son really, really regularly, daily, in fact, on his IEP goals. But I still have time that I work on progress monitoring, even though I'm not required to do it in our situation with his remote learning platform. When we aren't in a pandemic, I sit down and I work with him on Saturdays. And we do lots and lots of work on Saturdays, usually about an hour and a half. But if I were to take data on Saturdays, I wouldn't get good data because working with him is actually exhausting for him. And so then I come back and I take the data on Sunday when we're kind of back in the habit of working with mom. I'll just run through his goals and I record the way that he has performed for me. And so I know that every Sunday, I'm gonna sit down, we're gonna work for about an hour, and this is what we're going to do. Now, I don't schedule a certain time per week to do the other stuff, but I absolutely always have a running list of things that I need to do that are related to Jack's health or Jack's therapeutic needs or even the government advocacy that I do, etc. And so what I do is I sit down on Sunday nights and I make a weekly list of kind of my long-term goals for the week. And then every morning I start the day with a list of my short-term things, the things that I'm going to accomplish that particular day. And I actually also have them in Clio, which is a practice management software system that I have for my law practice. So I kind of double duty it, everything's in Clio, and then I actually write it down as well. And then it goes on a post-it note and the post-it note gets stuck to my computer and it goes back and forth with me to and from the office. And so when I know that I need to schedule an appointment or I need to schedule flu shots or we need to go pick up medication or I need to send a my chart message to a doctor, I've got it all written down. And then I know that it's gonna happen sometime during the day. If I have a really busy day, what I might actually do is I might actually go onto my calendar and I might plug in my tasks so that I know that during the two o'clock hour, I'm gonna do these four tasks. And during the four o'clock hour, I'm gonna do these four tasks. And that way it's on my calendar, it's on my to-do list, it's not super overwhelming, and it feels so good to cross everything off when I'm finished. So 
Step three is probably something that you have done in the past. I know that you know how effective it is, and it is literally to schedule the time. When will you make that doctor's appointment? When will you um, take some time to research a new strategy or to learn more about your child's diagnosis or to find the right therapist? When are you gonna take that time? When are you gonna talk to the teachers? When are you going to call to schedule the therapies? When it's all kind of rattling in your head and you think, oh, I gotta do that. Oh, I gotta do that. Oh, I gotta do that. That's the stuff that wakes you up at night. If you write it down and then you find time to do the things that are on your list, I promise it will help you to manage the overwhelm so that then you have time to do the important stuff. So those are the three tips. The first one, disability does not define you, does not define your family, does not define you as a parent, does not define your child. However, if you embrace your disability community, if you embrace the disability itself, you will have more success. Number two, you don't have to do it all at the same time. Chip away at it, do one thing at a time. You're gonna have time periods where certain topics or certain priorities are going to be more important than others, and that is absolutely okay. You've got a lifetime of advocacy, even if it ends when they're 18 or when they graduate from high school or whatever. Um, and number three is to schedule time so that you know that you're gonna chip away at it and you're gonna do it on this particular timeline. Friends, it's so important to take the time to manage that overwhelm and to really figure out how you're going to get control because once you get control of everything and once you get everything organized, then the real magic can happen. Then you can start the actual advocacy. Once you have a plan, once you have managed the overwhelm, then the advocacy happens. That's when you can get into school and you can be organized and you can be articulate and you can bring objective information and you can really start to work on what's best for the child and what's best for the IEP team. I hope this helps. I really hope that you are able to manage the overwhelm. If you have any additional strategies, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, DM me on social media. I'd love to hear what else works for you. And maybe I'll share some more strategies in a future podcast. Thanks so much and have a great day.